Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. Sanctions and money laundering news take our focus this week because there is not a lot of noise from the other typical areas of financial crime. Yes, there's a little on bribery and corruption, but even cyberattack news this week is quiet. Still, it's not stopped us before, and it's not about to stop us now. As usual, all the stories which I mention in the podcast are linked in the description, and we'll start this week, as we always do, with sanctions. This week's sanctions news starts in the United Kingdom, with a broad range of news from the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, with the Iranian nuclear sanctions heavily on the agenda. First, 78 entries have been removed from and 78 entries added to the Iran nuclear financial sanctions regime following changes to UN sanctions. The transitional period ended. These changes follow the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, Transition Day, on the 18th of October 2023. This was in response to the Iranian escalation of non-compliance with the JCPOA since 2019. If you may remember, Trump withdrew the US from that agreement. Secondly, and again on Iran, six entries have been added Uh, Sorry, six entries have been removed from the Iran nuclear financial sanctions regime and they're no longer subject to an asset freeze. These individuals and entities are Mosin Fakhizadeh Mahabadi. I mangled that appallingly. Anyway, Mohammad Hajazi, Qasem Soleimani, and the next three are corporations. The Barzagani, Tejarat, Tavanmad Sakal Companies, the Dustan International Company, and the Pejman Industrial Services Corporation. And just under the bar, before I drew a line on this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, a further notice was published with a final amendment, at least for this week, to the Iran nuclear sanctions regime. The link to all three notices and OFSI's general guidance on the Iranian sanctions regime, together with an explainer of the JCPOA from the Council of Foreign Relations, can be found in the podcast description. And finally, from OFSI this week, General Licence INT 2023-362-6884 has been amended. The amendment relates to payments to Companies House, and the link to that announcement The amendment, that is, is in the podcast description. One minor item of news, and it relates to Mikhail Fridman. Now, he's been in and out of the news for the last few weeks, and we've been mentioning the stories relating to him on previous episodes of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. He is, of course, the sanctioned Russian oligarch. Well, he's back in the news this week because he's launched a challenge the UK government disallowing a £30,000 monthly spend for the upkeep of his London mansion, Athlone House. Google it. Impressive looking house. Bigger house than any human being could possibly need, but there it is. 
cracking looking place full of artwork apparently anyway we'll see what happens with that litigation as it continues the final story from the uk relates to the united kingdom's government uh, government's response to news which we discussed in episode 79 of the financial crime weekly podcast and it's the decision of the court of appeal in the united kingdom in the case of mints and national bank trust and bank okriti the press release agreed between the foreign commonwealth and development office the fcdo and ofsi provides the government is carefully considering the impact of the court of appeals judgment in mints in particular the courts view that pjsc national bank trust is controlled by designated persons by virtue of their political office noting that the case was not decided on this point the fcdo would look to designate a public body where possible when designating a public official if fcdo considered that the relevant official was exercising control over that public body there's no presumption on the part of the government that a private entity based or incorporated in russia or any jurisdiction in which a public official is designated is in itself sufficient evidence to demonstrate that the relevant official exercises control over that entity in the interest of reducing any uncertainty we're exploring the options available to the government in clarifying this position further i expect what they mean by that is some kind of amending statute to change the situation in the favor of the government anyway link to that press release is in the podcast description to north america now and we start in the united states following the attack by hamas on israel last week the u.s office of foreign assets control or ofac quotes has imposed sanctions on 10 key hamas terrorist group members operatives and financial facilitators in gaza and elsewhere including sudan turkey algeria and qatar this action targets members managing assets in a secret hamas investment portfolio a Qatar-based financial facilitator with close ties to the Iranian regime, a key Hamas commander, and a Gaza-based virtual currency exchange and its operator. Additionally, and in a separate move, sanctions have also been imposed on 11 individuals, 8 entities, and 1 vessel based in Iran, Hong Kong, the People's Republic of China, and Venezuela that are enabling Iran's destabilizing ballistic missile and unmanned aerial vehicle programs or uav programs these are the programs which have been employed by the russians to reasonable effect in ukraine the persons designated today have materially supported iran's islamic revolutionary guard corps the ministry of defense and armed forces logistics or their subordinates in the production and proliferation of missiles and uavs Link to both press releases can be found in the podcast description. The final piece of news from the US is the removal of sanctions on Venezuelan oil following agreements in relation to the elections which are due to take place in Venezuela in 2024. In Canada now, we can just stick with North America, and following action taken in a similar vein in other countries and in the European Union, the Canadian government has announced sanctions against what are described as Russian collaborators in Moldova. The sanctions include nine individuals associated with influential oligarchs, as well as six television stations that are concerned in the dissemination of Russian propaganda. The final sanction stories this month 
Got Sanction story this month comes from the Netherlands, where Dutch prosecutors have announced that four companies and eight individuals have received a range of punishments for aiding Russia between 2014 and 2017 in breach of EU sanctions. The aid came by way of assistance in the construction of the Crimea Bridge, the bridge which has been attacked at least twice significantly, I think, by Ukrainian forces since the Russian invasion began. The individuals have been sentenced to community service of between 20 and 60 hours, while the companies have been fined a total of €160,000. That's it for sanctions news. I told you there was quite a bit of it. Now, to money laundering news, where there is equally a good wedge of news. This week's money laundering news, like its sanctions news, starts in the United Kingdom, where the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group, the JMLSG, has published revisions to paragraphs 5.3.129a to c of Chapter 5, Part 1 of its anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing guidance for the financial services sector. The revisions have been submitted to HM Treasury for ministerial approval, and the press release and link to the revised version are in the podcast description. Staying in the UK, uh, the UK and this is quite a significant bit of news from the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA, which has published the findings from its multi-firm review of payment account providers, systems and controls against money mule activity. It found that the ease with which money mules continue to allow fraudsters to cash out the proceeds of fraud remains an issue which needs to be addressed. In focusing the review on the systems and controls for detecting and preventing money mule activity in firms that operate payment accounts, the Financial Conduct Authority found that some firms are working to address the challenges of money mules by implementing a range of measures and using technologies to detect and deter fraudsters from using their organisation and harming their customers for illicit gains. Some firms seek to establish proportionate approaches that use innovative solutions, including facial recognition systems, device profiling and geolocation. Worryingly, however, and notwithstanding the efforts of other firms, this approach isn't universal, with certain firms certainly needing to do more. This would mean that those firms doing more proportionate checks at onboarding for indicators and red flags as being something likely to lead to the identification of money mules. Further, following onboarding, these firms would need to ensure that their monitoring systems are set up to detect common mule behaviours and that they do more to monitor inbound transactions as well as outbound. In terms of resource use, most firms were found to use the National Fraud Database as part of their onboarding checks, as well as active sharing of information with relevant authorities using lawful gateways for the necessity of disrupting and detecting fraud. Nevertheless, some firms do not report an identified money mule account promptly enough on relevant supporting or reporting systems, thereby causing delays in wider dissemination of that information to other firms. Additionally, some firms in receipt of fraudulent funds are not responding sufficiently swiftly to allow uh, to alerts from notifying institutions. Focus then shifts, of course, to the cost of Lehman crisis, and this is something that we've touched on in previous weeks of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, where people in need of a few quid, which this money-muling offers, may be tempted. 
And the cost of living crisis certainly focuses minds in the UK, in fact, anywhere in the world. Struggling customers, therefore, might find themselves, as the Financial Conduct Authority has indicated, susceptible to providing their account details for money mule activities under influence or under pressure, the influence presumably being a few quid. The Financial Conduct Authority urged firms to enhance their communication strategies and awareness initiatives with them and all customers so that they remain informed of the threats. However, I suspect that this may be insufficient to prevent use of their account by a desperate individual. So, overall, the conclusions are first, firms should take a proactive and proportionate approach to address the problem of money mule activity. Secondly, strengthening controls during onboarding, improving transaction monitoring to detect suspicious activity involving money mules, and optimising reporting mechanisms for swift action. Thirdly, firms should proactively raise consumer awareness about the risks of acting as a money mule in order to protect them. Fourthly, firms should establish proportionate systems and controls to manage the problem of money mules and associated risks. Fifthly and finally, the Financial Conduct Authority does warn that it will use all its regulatory tools, including enforcement action, where a firm is identified as failing to maintain proportionate and adequate systems and controls. Link to the full report is in the podcast description. Now, the final money laundering report from the UK is that the Law Society of England and Wales has provided its response to His Majesty's Treasury review of the AML and CTF supervisory regime. It's come out in favour of professional body supervisor consolidation, combining the existing supervisors to leave either one accountancy sector supervisor and one legal sector supervisor with UK-wide jurisdiction, or one accountancy sector supervisor and one legal sector supervision for each jurisdiction, that is, England and Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Link to the press release is in the podcast description. Now, away from the United Kingdom to other parts of the world, first to Australia, where Nick McTaggart, who was the most senior operational officer investigating money laundering, has warned that horse racing is susceptible of money laundering because it attracts the wealthy, and the sums involved, therefore, can be incredibly large. As a consequence, money laundering might not always be as straightforward to identify. Secondly, and staying in that part of the globe, in Malaysia, the prosecuting authorities have announced that the founder of My Airline, which is a budget airline in Malaysia, has been arrested and is assisting police with inquiries under the Anti-Money Laundering, Anti-Terrorism Financing and Proceeds of Unlawful Activities Act 2001. Alan Go-Huan Hua was arrested along with his wife and his 26-year-old son. And finally this week, the United States Department of the Treasury Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN as it's known, has proposed designating cryptocurrency mixing as an area of primary money laundering concern. Link to the notice published this week is in the podcast description. Told you there was quite a bit of money laundering law, but that's the end of it now. Now to bribery and anti-corruption news this week. There's an interesting range of stories this week. Not an awful lot of them, but what there is is quite interesting. Starting in Europe, and the president of Barcelona Football Club, Joan Laporta, 
has been charged with bribery over alleged payments made to companies linked to the former vice president of the Spanish Referees Committee, José María Enríquez Negrera. The charges relate to Laporta's first tenure at the club from 2003 to 2010. He, of course, returned a few years ago. Now, not much more on this story, other than that people have clearly doorstepped, journalists have clearly doorstepped Laporta, who is reportedly calm about the charges. Now, the Group of States Against Corruption, or Greco, has published its fifth evaluation round, second compliance report on the Netherlands. Link to the report in English is in the podcast description. You can also get it in French and Dutch if you so choose. Ukraine's battle against corruption continues with the announcement this week of the conviction of the former director of the Ukrainian studio of television films, Ukra Telefilm, as well as former director. A link to the press release is in the podcast description. Open it in Chrome and it'll be translated for you if your Ukrainian, like mine, is non-existent. The final piece of bribery and anti-corruption news is a follow-up from last week and news that the former head of the Bank of China has been expelled from the Chinese Communist Party. Well, this week Liu Liang was arrested on allegations of bribery and of making illegal loans. Now a market abuse story and then we'll finish this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast with a roundup of the cyber attack news. And there isn't a great deal of it, but again, it's interesting what there is. So we'll start with this market abuse story, just a small one. Comes in the form of a stream of stories really whirling around about the use of end-to-end encryption services and dealings which those who work in financial services have off official channels. There's been concern for some time, principally from the US and the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, and the Securities and Exchange Commission particularly, over the use of such services to evade oversight from regulatory agencies. Well, this week, HSBC has been in the news and announced a block on staff using SMS on company-issued devices. They're going to stop that functionality. Now, HSBC has already blocked its users making the most of WhatsApp with its end-to-end encryption. And the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US has looked at that too. It all, however, it's now believed that the Securities and Exchange Commission wants to go further. And it's now got video conferencing in its sites, including, of course, Zoom and all the others. It, of course, has already had its offensive against WhatsApp. And it seems to be that the general news around these kind of or this kind of activities really ratcheting up i would expect more on this form of blocking and frankly for the fca to issue something in the next week or so now we end this week's financial crime weekly podcast with the usual roundup of cyber attack news and it's a bit thin on the ground this week of course this doesn't mean that cyber attacks have suddenly stopped But what's more likely is that there has been a focus shift from the media, as has happened, because of what's been happening. And further, of course, the attacks might be underway, but they're just simply not detected as yet. Or they've happened, but they've not been made public. Remember, I've said before, there is very frequently a lag between the cyber attack happening and its reporting in the media. Nevertheless, we do have a couple of bits of news to go on. First, it's been reported this week that the UK is at risk of cyber breakdown. In fact, meltdown was the word used in some quarters of the press. 
The meltdown, or breakdown depending on your perspective, is likely to come if authorities continue to ignore repeated warnings issued in relation to the outdated software systems which are in use, particularly those used by His Majesty, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Now, I do find it odd that these warnings are repeated and likely to continue to do so. These reporters, these kind of reports have been out for a while, urging the government to make some kind of shift in old cyber systems that have been around since the last Labour government. Now, whether something is being done in the background, and we mere mortals can't be told about it yet, well, I'd certainly hope that is the case, but I have an equal range of doubts that anything at all is happening. The other piece of cyber attack news this week is from Lloyd's of London, the insurance and reinsurance body, which of course operates globally. Now, it's published its systemic risk scenario report on major financial services payment systems. The resulting contagion from an attack on a major financial services system would likely lead to widespread disruption to global business and potential global economic loss, global economic loss estimated at 3.5 trillion US dollars. Now, to put that in perspective, the value of the global economy in 2019 was esti- estimated to be $86 trillion. The link to the Lloyds of London press release is in the podcast description. The full report doesn't seem to have been released yet, but when it is, I'll get the link in there. Well, that's it for episode 80 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next week with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a truly great week, everyone. <laughs>